J3 Youth Ministry Podcast. The J3 Youth Ministry Podcast. This is Jonathan Hobbs. I'm John Chafee. And I'm Johnny Radcliffe. And we are looking at episode two with Mark DeVries. Uh, we hope that you were able to listen to the first one and get some wisdom out of that. Absolutely. You're going to oh, get a second batch here. So good. As yeah. good as uncooked cookie batter. Oh, that, and that is so good. That's what I want right you know, now. By the way, I am the black sheep in my family, especially my wife's family. Don't say it. Because I love Don't cookie batter. No, I love cookie dough. Wait, what? I love. Wait. I actually say the worst thing you can do to a cookie is bacon. Is Absolutely. <laughs> I'm so okay. there. Uh, now, what I will say is I found some redemption sure. for the cookie, yeah. which is if they go ahead and ruin it by baking it, <laughs> uh, legitimately, freeze it. What? A frozen cookie is... It's a, I don't know oh, what yeah. it is. It's like, shockingly good. This sounds uh, weird. My, um, the, uh, the Thompson family, if you're listening... Um, you're the ones that taught us this and you've helped us redeem the cookie. You are practicing redemption, which is very biblical. Uh, and so I want you to know, thank you for doing that. You've saved the chocolate chip cookie because no one needed to save the chocolate chip cookie dough. Sure. But I think someone needed to save the chocolate chip cookie and the Thompsons did that. They did it so well. What a pioneer. So I think we can, I think we can just kind of join hands now maybe and Kumbaya and and listen to this. (laughs) Well, hold on. Let's, let's see if we're in complete fellowship. I got to ask. Okay. Brownie batter thoughts. It's good. Uh, oh, I'm a big fan. Big, big fan? Big fan. More wow. than Interesting. chocolate chip cookie dough? No. No, chocolate chip cookie dough all no. the way. But yeah. oh, man. second thing, pancake batter. Is that wow. weird? Yeah, okay. that is. And that I one's just a little weird. <laughs> um, basically, in the name of if Jesus. it's not cooked, I love it, apparently. In the name of like Jesus. Do you like sushi? Eggs? Wow. So your new sushi. nickname, I love sushi. your new nickname is going to be Salmonella. It. Salmonella. Yeah. <laughs> and here's the great news. Everyone's like, you're going to get Salmonella. Like, I have no. not gotten it once that I know of. Yeah. Would <laughs> I know if I, I had of. it? Says the guy. That's I will say, I think I'm allergic today. to sushi because <laughs> every time I eat like 60 pieces, I start to feel sick. <laughs> I think I'm really, allergic. Uh, it's a good one line. Yeah. Speaking of one more thing, that's just funny <laughs> since we're since we're able to have. So I, I don't want to say this on the flip side because it'll ruin it, but. Um, every time I talk to Mark DeVries, not only do I love his voice, but can we just all agree that Mark DeVries' voice, if you listen to John Stewart from The Daily Show or formerly from The Daily Show, do an impression. Actually, it tends to be his impression voice of everyone, but it's like usually his impression of George W. Bush. Mm. <laughs> it's Mark DeVries. Oh, it's Mark DeVries' voice. Oh, just my like, word. Now, let me tell you something. <laughs> you know, here's what we're going to do. Is that offensive to Mark DeVries? It better not because I, it, just, I love Mark DeVries' voice. I was going to say, I mean, it's a compliment, I assume. Mark DeVries can tell a bad story and everyone loves it. Exactly. And I, I have, like, did you ever just be upset that you don't have an accent that allows for that? I wish I had a great accent, but this is one thing I will say. Um, I actually tweeted at Joe Saxton. Uh, maybe you've oh, heard yeah. of her. Uh, she's got an amazing British accent. And I said <sighs> something like, some of the extent of the best part about your talk was your accent. And she, she tweeted, <laughs> I got tweeted back and she was like, I love your accent. And I was just like, no, you're no, just you being don't. nice. No, you don't. No, now no, you're lying, but it, you're lying with an accent. It, so so <laughs> I'm cool with it. I'm totally cool with it. Exactly. So, um, there's just something about it, right? There someone, someone does that intro in American. 
Yeah. Lame. No, I totally wouldn't listen lame. to it. No, I wouldn't I, either. I'd turn off the whole podcast. I mean, yeah, we're done. Right. Maybe yeah. Australian? Yeah. It's close. Close That's enough. Good. Well, With I guess we should probably jump to, back to we what should. we're doing here. We're actually going to let Mark DeVries talk at this point, so... It's good It's good that we set the bar that low. Exactly. If you're still with us, you're going to be blown away by what you hear. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, part two of Mark DeVries. You mentioned something when we set up this interview about the idea of the incentive system in youth ministry. Well, you and I both know that a youth pastor is evaluated regardless of what the job description says and regardless of the language that is spoken around, you know, it's not about numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Every youth pastor is evaluated by how many kids are showing up for the program. Mm -hmm. And uh, a youth pastor is considered amazing if more kids are showing up for the program and a real problem to be removed <laughs> if more kids are not showing up for the program, mm-hmm. right? Here's just a little theory I've been noodling with, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. What we know is, you know, I'm guessing this is true for you, certainly true for me, that as I move to new stages in my faith, my discipleship expanded, my paradigm shifted, uh, or, you know, fouler stages of faith. I moved to a new stage, right? Um, I went through um, a season of, you know, cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. right? Through a period of doubt and uncertainty and questioning and wondering if, if any of this is really true, right? Um, that happens as we move from one box we've got to, for God to a little bit bigger box we've Absolutely. got for God, right? Absolutely. And, but when that happens, if we are inviting kids into that journey forward of a larger picture of God, well, they are going to go through a season of doubt and questioning that may look a little bit like rebellion, mm-hmm. may look a little bit like, I don't want to go to church anymore. And so you, you get the problem? Yeah, yeah. If we are, if we're leading them on that thing that leads them further down the path toward lifelong discipleship, that will often require that, they, um, that they're going to disengage some from the, the program. And so what happens is we are incentivized to have our kids stay with the program Keep it under wraps. Keep your package for God small enough that it fits into youth group. And don't ask those hard questions. Then when they get to college, they fall off the cliff. That's so good. Can't we just do that before they go to college? Right. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, don't get them to question it. You look amazing. Yeah. Uh, Get them to question it. They stop attending. You're doing the right thing. You're fired. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. But I, I do think there's a way to go about it that doesn't doesn't bet the farm, right? right? That we could say, uh, we want to create a, yeah, it's almost like a holding tank, <laughs> where we say that, almost like, the. sometimes I use the image of the outer rim of the labyrinth. You know, in the labyrinth, when you're on that very outer rim, you're closer to the center than when you were closer to the center, mm-hmm. you, you know? Because <laughs> you walk, as soon as you go right in, you're right there near the center, and then you go, woo, loop around. When you're on that outer rim, you're often getting close to the center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to invite kids into a, a gathering called the outer rim and let them uh, ask all the questions they've got and say, 
and, and to just own the way the journey works, to give them, actually give them a narrative, give them language for the way the unfolding of faith actually happens so that when it happens, it doesn't assault them, but they've got, they've got the ability to put it out in front of them and say, oh, I, I see where I am in this process. Um, Do you think Fowler is one of the, if people don't know Fowler's stages of faith, that's probably a, a really good resource for people to have. It's a, you know, and it, it, in fact, you, you know, just go get a nice executive summary in five pages. Right, right. Uh, you know. Put it on the wall. Put it on, just, yeah. but it's, it's probably 30 years old, maybe, mm-hmm. um, if not, if not older. Uh, but, but it, it mimics, you know, all of the sort of, um, you know, uh, developmental systems, whether it's spiritual or identity or whatever, they all have us going through this season of cognitive dissonance and uncertainty. And for us to give kids language for that to say, oh, it's so exciting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And think about, I mean, this is so fun. Think about what Jesus was doing with his stories and parables. He was always unsettling people. He was always decentering them, not giving them the answer but making them really uncomfortable. So they go, uh, Jesus, what was that thing with the fig tree? What was that about? Um, And I I do think most of our curriculum is written to give them answers, to not teach them. uh, One of my favorite phrases these days is, I want kids to have a wonderful faith, not a wonder empty faith. I want them to be going, gee, I don't don't know. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Let's go ahead and talk Death Wave. Because <laughs> let's end on a high note. Let's, uh, um, why not? But we'll do, we'll do five minutes on death. You had mentioned something on the phone to me, uh, and actually it, it just it just got my, my brain cranking because it's something I had heard about years ago, and for reasons that I can't necessarily articulate, I was fascinated by this concept, and I felt like churches should be talking about this more. Uh, I've heard it called different things. Uh, most of them sound awful. Depressing. Uh, yeah, yeah, de- very yeah. depressing. There's um, Death Wave. I've heard uh, the Die Off. Mm. Um, the Death Tsunami. The Death that's Tsunami. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's awesome. Um, I mean, it's, it's either a problem or it's a middle school event. You know, I mean, it's, it's, so I'm like, well, what is this? Yeah, so, it comes the year at the year before you do Disco Inferno, and then you do Death Tsunami. tsunami. There that. it is. Yeah. Uh-huh. There it is. So, can you talk about what this is and how it might affect youth ministry? Because I think when people hear about it, they'll they'll even say that that doesn't have anything to do with youth ministry. But I think it I think it does. And mm. so, well, yeah, Jonathan, I'll be interested to hear how you see it connecting to youth ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's my thought. Our models for youth ministry right now, for the most part, especially in the, in the mainline and evangelical uh, Anglo churches, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, our model is based on hiring a youth pastor to run your youth ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, almost all the training and almost all of the books and all that are written toward, and the classes and the, the degree programs. And the podcasts. And, and, yeah. and the podcast <laughs> are all designed for that person who is on salary as a youth pastor. Right. Now, our churches are funded right now, are with the exception of maybe the new church plants that are younger folks, 
which often can't afford and sometimes don't even need a youth pastor. But most of our longer-term churches are funded disproportionately by boomers. Right. The boomer Um, generation. The boomer generation, right. And I've done the math, and most of us, I'm a boomer, most Mm -hmm. of us will be dead in about 20 years. Right, right. What that means is it's not just a death tsunami, it's a resource tsunami. And churches, you know, we got about a 20-year horizon before we hit that iceberg. And we are going full speed ahead pretending like everything's going to be normal. Well, that money, and some churches are already experiencing it. Mm-hmm. They can no longer afford a full-time youth pastor. Right. They're making it a full uh, children and youth pastor combined. That's part-time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I think the key, if we're going to be doing youth ministry 40, 50 years from now, which I think is, of course, absolutely essential, we got to find some alternative ways to pay for youth ministry. Absolutely. And, um, and so that, that has really been one of the major um, impeti for um, <laughs> one of the major catalysts for ministry incubators. Mm. Um, so let me tell you just a quick story. Sure. Um, so our friend Matt McNelly uh, is a pastor um, somewhere near the Columbia River and between Washington and Oregon. Okay. okay. Their church was a little tight on money. They were going to have to cut his salary. Mm-hmm. And well, he and his wife were co-pastors, or were both were sharing a position, so they were going to cut that total package down. They could figure out how they wanted it. And uh, Matt came up with this idea that he has come to call "Go Fish." Okay. And here's what happened: the Columbia River, the dams on the Columbia River have created an ecosystem where the pike fish are eating the young salmon. Okay. Therefore, the dam people are paying an, an $8 a fish bounty for catching pikefish. Okay? okay? So Matt first thinks, well, I'll just go catch fish. That'll supplement my income. Then he decides, maybe this enterprise won't just fund ministry. Maybe it will be ministry. Mm-hmm. So he gets a boat, and his summer youth group mm-hmm. is... 40 hours a week with kids, discipling kids while they're fishing on the boat compared to an hour in Sunday school maybe over the summer. Right. Right? Right. And, oh. and uh, but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. So um, what's happening is more and more folks are realizing it's not just about finding new ways to fund ministry. Mm-hmm. It's finding creative, what we say with ministry incubators, harebrained ideas for doing ministry that creates revenue at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're no stranger to this. We've been doing car washes forever, right? Right. But most youth workers are thinking it's the church's job to figure out the finances. And they will mm-hmm. until the boomers are dead. Mm-hmm. And at mm-hmm. that point, if we don't have another plan, and that's, again, part of the reason for ministry incubators, is we believe we got about 20 years. Mm-hmm. During this 20 years, could we rethink the way we do the economics of ministry with this death tsunami coming? Absolutely. Yeah, because I even thought uh, I'm on a board of a nonprofit, a missions nonprofit. Most of development in Christian nonprofit is ask people with money to donate. That's really what it boils down to. And that's just not going to work anymore. Uh, it's, As the nonprofits multiply. Yeah, yeah. they're mm-hmm. getting bigger. And, and, and uh, so after the boomers, um, busters, I think, are the next one. I always, I always mess sure. these things up. 
But the children of the boomers, which is technically not the busters, oddly enough, uh, but that will be a large generation. But that's another 20 years away from being a stable income status. So there's this, it's, so yeah, there's a dip coming that people I just think are, are not ready for. And Hey, guess what? Missions trips need to be funded in a different way. Missions organizations need to be funded in a different way. Churches, uh, you know what? Um, it might be that the, uh, the, 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 they just need to focus a lot more on what they want to do. And, yeah. uh, but I love the idea of harebrained ideas. That's kind of my specialty. Um, let's end with a couple really quick things. So first off, um, do you have the latest book that you would... Uh, is, is, what's, what's the latest thing you've written and put out there? <laughs> well, um, my friend Scott Pontier and I, uh, Scott's one, one of my partners at Minister Architects, uh, we have just, um, just finished a book. It's not out yet oh. uh, called Reimagining Young Adult Ministry, um, uh, sort of a strategy for the ordinary church. Um, most, most what I call ordinary churches they look at the mega church that's five years old downtown that's getting all the young adults, and they say, oh, we need to do that. Mm. Well, that'll never work. <laughs> nope. You can't retrofit sort of the brand new church into my church is 215 years old. We can't mm-hmm. do it. Uh, so, But we do believe there's some amazing things we can be doing. Incidentally, the millennials are the largest generation, so they're like the echo generation. Right. They're also, we believe, inviting the church to totally re-examine mm. itself because mm. uh, the millennial generation is where we get the rise of the nuns, mm. the, the ones who say, I, I don't have any religious affiliation. Um, and uh, they, are in, they simply are not willing to say, I will go to something that's not meaningful to me. Right, right. right. Previous generations were polite. Yes. So that, uh, that book we're very excited about and uh, my friend uh, Annette Safstrom, uh, is uh, she and I have done a book called Sustainable Children's Ministry. So she's the sort of children's ministry expert on our team, and we're very excited about that coming out in, with InterVarsity in the next uh, next six months or so. So next six months on the children's ministry and reimagining young adult will be... We're publishing that ourselves. It could oh. be next week or okay. it could be two years. Who so, knows? <laughs> stay tuned. Stay tuned. We mentioned www.ministryarchitects.com. Uh, is there? Do, are you on Twitter? Uh, anything along those lines? How can people reach you if they want to reach um, you? They can uh, reach me at mark at ministryarchitects.com. Absolutely. Um, or um, ministryincubators.com is also uh, is the website that if you're you know if you or your listeners are interested in that sort of harebrained ideas, harebrained ideas yes. to sustainable ministry, we do these hatchathons once every yeah, two three times a year where we, people come in and with their crazy ideas and we spend three days cooking it up it's very exciting that's wonderful mark thank you so much for meeting with me uh thank you so much for everything you've done in youth ministry and thank you for encouraging youth directors around the world and training them and uh i uh i I couldn't be happier thanks so much for being with us thanks for coming to my church no problem We are so glad you were sitting down while you listened to that because it was that amazing. Because your mind is blown. Exactly. You probably would have lost the ability to stand. Some amazing things that pop out from this conversation. Uh, We get to talk about doubt. Uh, 
Yes, because yeah. we all love that. Uh, but maybe. the timing of oh. doubt, what was it? What did he say? The timing of doubt is to have the crisis before college. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah. what we often see is that our kids go through, and uh, if we don't teach them to think correctly, they will, they will know what to think, not how to think. And then when you get hit with life, once you get to college, that becomes a crisis. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so the ability to have that crisis in high school is a great but, thing. But, but I just want to be clear here, too. It's not just have it. He steered people into it. Right. Like, he, he was like, uh-huh. no, 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 no. Hey, by the way, welcome to this. Was it like a weekend retreat or something like that? Or was mm-hmm. it like a camping trip? Or He was just like, hey, welcome. We're about to steer this ship into it. We're like, we're about to go deep, uh, deep into the the storm. And that is something that's just so cool. Uh, He had people talk about all their doubts. He had, oh, by the way, you may not even realize this, but here's a bigger reason you should doubt God. Exactly. It's like, what? Yeah. Right. And it's amazing. And we we think if we avoid it, that somehow they're going to be spared from it, but it's just not true. And even for me, you know, growing up in the Christian bubble, as much as I did, I even went to Christian college and almost walked away from the faith. Like I had my crisis in a Christian college. Mm -hmm. So it's, we, we, we just got to accept that it's going to happen. Oh, and and this this echoes of Andy Root uh, in that first, or it was the second episode we had, where you know we're trying to actually make better atheists almost. Right, it's like listen. Oh my goodness, let me. T- you're, you, there's a doubt you're not even thinking of, and I want to steer you into that doubt because I believe that God is truth, and I and therefore I believe mm-hmm. that steering you into that doubt actually brings you stronger into the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I haven't been a strong enough youth leader to do that with consistency. Hmm. I once heard a story of a spiritual director who was meeting with people in counseling sessions, whatever. And he said, <laughs> some people think that my job is to be in the raft that, uh, that's mm-hmm. on the river of God with you. And that there, maybe there are some holes in the raft. And so our job is to patch the holes along the way. Right. He said, actually, the real job of a good spiritual director is to set fire to your raft <laughs> so that then you have to commit to trusting the river of God. I'm like, what is going on? That got deep. I know. Yeah. Just like dive into the doubts because maybe God is actually closer and more real. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you have to be honest when you get into your doubts. Interestingly enough too, though, I, I kind of keep coming back because I said this in the last few episodes, I feel like I've... Um, I feel like the way we word this, so going back to how he said craft the narrative last episode, mm-hmm. um, I think it's, I think that's beautiful. And I think that spiritual torch director, I think that, tor- uh, that, that torch, dra- that raft torture, that spiritual <laughs> director uh-huh. knew to say that language with you. Whereas, uh, guess what? If I'm talking to a parent, I am not saying, you know what I'm going to do to your kid? I'm going to <laughs> blow up their direct. <laughs> By the way, you don't have to light a raft on fire. You can just poke holes at sinks. But uh, it <laughs> seems a little dramatic to make it a little flame. Dramatic. You know, it's also a, it's a waste of fire. It just sinks and then the fire's out. Anyway, so my point is, uh, I, I think that we need to come up with really good verbiage of how we say, mm. you know what we're actually going to do? 
we you know like tell that story and invite them into that beautiful thing because I think that's actually one of youth directors' biggest problems. Youth ministry. We we, we say that at a youth ministry conference, mm. the place is standing up and cheering and pointing and waving terrible towels because apparently it's in Pittsburgh. But it's just like we're like yes, light that raft on fire. And then we come home, we're like at a parents' meeting, we're gonna light your kids' raft on fire. And parents are like, we're gonna find another church, you know. <laughs> and so I think that it's yeah. really important for us to come up with a, uh, with a narrative that celebrates that in a way that actually doesn't push the very people we're trying to minister to away. Because right. like I said, I, I think that spiritual director knew exactly like, who they were talking to. <laughs> and they're like, oh, he's going to like this. I'm going to bring up fire. <laughs> but, but the idea of, uh, man, maybe creating a space in your church to deal with the doubts from the like oh, yeah. voice from a person in the church. Mm-hmm. It's almost like your church or your youth ministry should actually give the critiques of the faith before someone else does it for you. And absolutely, absolutely. And to actually go back to something Johnny said last week, I think it was like yeah, last week, um, about longevity. Was that last week we were talking about that? We'll or talk about week? it most weeks. Yeah, it's a it's a thing. It's kind of a thing. Um <laughs> Mark DeVries was at his church, something ridiculous, 30 years, whatever it was. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, that guy had chips to cash in to do a retreat like that. Sure. You know, Mm -hmm. so I I don't think that's necessarily a retreat you do in the first year, you know, there, but to be able to lead people in that play. And so just one more check off for the, the benefits of longevity is suddenly you can go into those deep waters and try things like that. But anyway, so what, what else stood out to us here? Well, there was something that I actually remember talking to you, Jonathan, about oh. before uh, before Mark even said it, but the idea of the resource tsunami yes. coming to an end. It's, it's, um, I want you to I want you to actually interpret it in your own words. What that means? So yeah, I, I say it far more blunt, and, and, and it's it's not it's the reason I'm not asked to work uh, with senior citizens. But, um, the, the, the basic way to put it is that we always talk about the, uh, the, the baby boomers of, oh yeah, we had more births than we ever had before. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, what we don't tend to talk about, what that means is we're about to have more deaths than we've ever had before. Right. Um, which, and there's so many different conversations going way behind scenes that are maybe very awkward to have. Like it's one of the reasons why, um, funerals are going to be on the rise. Your, your church is going to have more funerals than it's ever had before. Um, there's actually going to be problems in cemeteries, mm. like weird things like that. But there's things that affect youth ministry. And that, that was my big thing with bringing it up with Mark was how does that affect youth ministry? And I, and I, so I hope that makes sense is the baby boomers are now starting to die off. Right. Uh, which they were like one of the most giving generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, th- there was so much about them that was just, how can I put it? Well, Mark said it. The way, but he didn't quite say it necessarily in this way. The way we've structured the way we do ministry, and more specifically, the way we do nonprofits, right. Christian nonprofits, is based on the generosity of boomers. Yeah. Uh, hey, Maybe please give us money. To them or catering or, to them. Or just saying, hey, we, we know you give money to things you care about. Would you please uh, give us money? Yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden, that may not work like that anymore. Yeah. I, I just think that's. That's harder to reimagine than youth ministry without 15 passenger vans. And that was really hard to imagine. Absolutely. Uh, and so this is a major shift that's coming in ministry. So yeah. what, what stuck out to you? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, so even along those lines, um, I was a part of a church that was uh, um, 
it was basically a house church one week and then a regular corporate worship gather the next. So uh, they did the every, yeah. every other week thing, and it was fascinating. And it was just mm. completely, to use Christian buzzwords, it was completely missional mm-hmm. uh, through and through. And uh, someone said something really profound, uh, just kind of like an area leader, you know, who's, who's got a good Christian voice in this area, said, if you want to look at what the church is going to look like in the next 20 to 30 years, look mm. at this church. Mm. And it was just like, whoa. Wow. It was just the idea of... You know, when you drive through and you see these like established church buildings and traditional this, that, that, uh, there's a there's a big shift coming, and part of it is uh, resources drying up a little bit, um, partly from the baby boomer generation, but um, you know, just the idea that the way we think of church is just on the brink of a change. We can either be fearful of that, or we can really embrace it and get creative. Mm. Uh, like the the story that uh, Mark just shared of the, the guy who does the fishing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, how creative is that? Like yep. that, mm-hmm. that checks the, you know, creative box. It also goes back to the nature box that we were talking about in our nice. previous podcast. Yeah. Um, it's but true. it's true. That's teach really a man good. to fish literally. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that could be your youth group name. Teach a man to fish. That's right. Teach him uh, to so fish. there's, there's opportunity in this potential shift that's coming. Yeah. It's a call to creativity, but not creativity for creativity's sake. It's uh, without creativity. I always feel weird having doomsday stuff. It's not, listen, change or die. Right. Because you know what? If you're really, really good at what, um, like this kind of youth ministry, whatever this is Mm -hmm. over here, um, there's probably always a place that's going to do youth ministry that way. Mm -hmm. However, I just think this is a really cool opportunity for the people that want to try new things. Mm. I'd say in the next five, 10 years, there's going to be a massive need to try new things, which is maybe a little bit different than what we've experienced in the past 20 years. So I think every time a church is in transition or going through a a change of models, whatever you want to say, there's two options. It's either lament or learn to get hopeful and maybe use your imagination. Hmm. And if you know how to tell a story or a narrative to the, your church, to the youth ministry, to use their imagination rather than give in to the fear of what might be, you can actually tap into a lot of good stuff. So, okay, yes, there's a large number of boomers that will be leaving the church in one way or another, yep, yep. right? But he also mentioned that millennials are the largest demographic, which means the millennial yeah. pocket is larger than the boomer. It is. So mm-hmm. I, the spiritual but not religious, should we lament that? Should we be hopeful? Like, is there a can, change that's happening? Can you lean into that? Can you yeah. lean yeah, yeah, into yeah. it? Is there like something that can be learned from this? Because really the future is quite hopeful, but it's, it's our first instinct to look to the future with fear rather than imagination. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to put it. I think, I, yeah, because it, it's easier. I, uh, it's, it's much mm-hmm. easier to be scared than it is to be hopeful uh, with creativity, hopeful with imagination. Yeah. But And that's why we need better storytellers. We need people that can cast vision in such a big way. Casting vision is such a buzzword that it gets a bad rap, in my opinion. But if yeah. you can just paint a yeah. picture for people that we can get behind and be hopeful behind, um, I think that's actually pretty solid. Um, can, I, can I say one thing? Yeah, yeah I was going to say, we have a couple more things we want to say before we, we um, wrap this up. So he did ahead. make mention, it's important to listen to the millennials. 
And then you said, right? Mm-hmm. Because previous generations were polite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so if you want to have good input about what your church can look like or should look like or should start doing, listen to the millennials because they will be honest to yeah. a fault. And mm-hmm. I'm like definitely and, to a fault sometimes. And, and I think that some people, their, their mistake is they've tried to get millennials to start be polite. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, and that's to a fault. No, no. Um, maybe... Maybe polite, but still responsive. Sure, sure. Yeah. But like, no, lean into that, experience that, minister from that place. Don't don't try to change that. Uh, otherwise, you're just you're just shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah. Um, I, I loved when he talked about the stages of faith, Fowler's stages of faith, uh, mm-hmm. about how when he was saying. Um, I just love the way he put it. And and I kind of feel weird. I don't want to just simply repeat what you just heard already, but I just want to state like, I know that makes perfect sense to me. Lights came on when he was talking and he said this idea of churches can subconsciously keep kids where they are spiritually, because that's how we get rewarded. We get rewarded with a bigger group. And if I let the kid transition to a high, to another level, um, they can actually stop coming to youth group, which makes me look bad as a youth leader. Mm. And so the concept of, again, subconsciously, it happens on a subconscious level, we're, we are actually asking our kids not to grow because what we're really asking, if we challenge ourselves with it, is we're asking our kids to attend. Right. Participate over per- grow beyond. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So just a thought off the top of my head right now. Okay. What if... No, already no. <laughs> so we have like a middle school ministry, we have a high school ministry, maybe a college ministry, whatever. But we divide that up according to ages, right? Yeah. But what if we took like Fowler stages of faith and right. had an event that was meant for stage one, a different event for stage two, stage three, regardless it's, of the age? Yeah, it, it's an interesting uh, you can problem. Have a college person come in that's at stage two of Fowler. And you can even, I mean, you'd have to do it in a way that isn't insulting, right? You'd have yeah. to do it in a way yeah. that, because the same problem happens in public school systems where, no, no, I want my kid in the cl- in that class when you're teaching that math that they have no chance of understanding this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's a, it's a, that's a very tricky thing. I've even had trouble with kids that are, um, even mentally speaking, are about two years behind where maybe mm-hmm. they should be, mm-hmm. but I'm not allowed to keep them in the middle school small group. Because it's, that might be more there, which actually level. would be where they are. Yeah. So no, I, I, there, there, there's so much that we could uh, talk about there. And I know, you, the, speaking of lights coming on, when he talked about the labyrinth, when, <laughs> when he talked, he yeah. even said like, let's do an event called labyrinth, and that concept of you know if you're asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you you're actually on the outer rim, but that actually is close to getting to the center than yeah. than what you might realize. So uh, anyway, it's it, we've already hit, we're already coming up against it. In fact, I think we've already blown past it. But Mark DeVries has a lot of good things to say. People, this is scratching the surface of the kind of things that that he talks about in his material. Um, I'm very proud of the fact that we really don't we're not trying to sell you any curriculum of our own. We don't have any. Yeah, maybe, but uh, <laughs> yes. we don't have any. Uh, I don't got <laughs> right. that kind of time, you know. So uh, we're not asking you to buy something from us. Uh, we do not get sponsored by the people that we that we interview. Uh, we genuinely are just sitting at the feet of some people that we really believe have a great thing to say. Mark DeVries is the like epitome to that. Mm. Um, check out more of what he does. If you hear that he's speaking somewhere, get there. 
uh, and, mm. and, and ask him questions. He's not afraid of them. Uh, do stuff. We hope this inspires you uh, because that is our goal. Inspire, equip, encourage. So with that being said, I'm Jonathan Hobbs. I'm John Chafee. And I'm Johnny Radcliffe. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the J3 Youth Ministry Podcast. Podcast.